That's funny because it's real. Um, <laughs> Y'all, we did it. We, uh, we survived. We, we did Disney, and we, we made it back with all of our clothes and, and half of our dignity. So that's enough um, as far as I'm concerned. It is work to go to Disney World. Um, and supposedly the week that we went was the busiest week <laughs> since the start of the pandemic. Something about honoring international tickets, and that was the last week to do it. But it was, it was packed to the gills. Like, it was um, incredibly busy. But we had a magical time, and it, and it was. It was magical. We had an incredible week. Um, but uh, everyone in that place is on the brink of breakdown. Right? They're not breaking down. They're not broken down. Not yet. Not quite yet. But they are right on the edge. They're on the verge of breaking down. Everybody within a mile of one of those parks, they've got their check engine light on, right? Like at any point, something could just send them into a tailspin. Um, but Bo really, he did an awesome job. He had an awesome time, and it was all worth it. This was him on day one. Um, yeah, we took, a bunch of, we took a bunch of pictures of him in front of the castle, and he goes, wait a second, a couple more. I want to strike a pose. And he just goes, <laughs> you know, it's like, there we go. Um, and then uh, this was him on day two, just <laughs> gone, just zonked. Um, and so he, his bedtime's usually 9.30 p.m. That's our fault, not his. And, uh, but this was like 6 o'clock. Like, he was just done on day two. Um, but he did everything we asked of him. He gave us everything he had. He was a trooper. Um, but that was all the way up until he couldn't give us anymore. We definitely, we found his limit. It's six and a half days. We were there for seven. Um, and so the day, the day of the wedding, uh, th that's what we were in Orlando for, at around 8 p.m. Um, is, when, is when it happened. The ceremony was over. Dinner was wrapping up. Everything was going smooth. He was just chilling you know, at the table, watching Bluey, like you do at a wedding. And um, we're waiting for dancing to start, and then out of nowhere, just bam, he hits his wall, and it's over. Screaming during the speeches, kicking the table, full-on Hulk mode, right? Um, and he's three. It's been a long week. We, we got to give him a little bit of credit. But after our 14th attempt at gentle parenting, um, it just wasn't working. And so I had to jump into to dad mode. You know, and the dads in the room know, know exactly what I'm talking about. You get, like, Tunnel Vision, Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin starts playing in the back of your head. And you just, you set judgment aside, and you just solve the issue. And so that's what I did. I stepped in. I grabbed him. I put him in the stroller. We got to an isolated place. Um, I, this isn't like him, right? This, he's usually pretty calmable. He's usually pretty amenable. But he was just fighting it. And so finally, after a couple deep breaths, um, he's finally able to say words. I just, I feel sorry for him. He's worked really, really hard. We're all exhausted. And so I ask him, like, buddy, what do you need? Look him right in the eye. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Uh, and just through tears and snot, he blubbers, I want to go home. <laughs> and I say, okay, buddy, okay, buddy, we can, we can go back to the hotel. That's fine. We can do that. And he goes, no! You know how he pronounces it. Um, no! I want to go to my yellow house. Um, and that is just like, it's like, yeah, I couldn't help but show that picture. Um, but uh, he wants to go to, he wanted to go to his yellow house. And there's just a, a lot of emotion in that sentence for us for a lot of different reasons. But this kid wanted to go home. 
um, and that's a really special thing. So last week, our elder president, Mike Maxwell, he made the announcement that we would be, we'd be making the move back to St. Joseph High School, and he, and he said, we're going home, right? Over, over the last 18 years, we've been, uh, we've been holding the gathering at a bunch of different places. This is actually our 10th location uh, in 18 years that we've had the gathering. We've been in homes, we've been in conference rooms, we were at Lakeshore, we were at Upton Middle School. Um, but for the last 10 years, up until the pandemic, we called St. Joseph High School home. That's, that's the longest, most consistent we've ever been in one place. And for many here, it does, it does kind of feel like that. It feels like we're going home. But I also know, I know for a fact, because um, there's part of me that, that resonates with this too, this place has felt like home in so many ways. Yes, that's true, yeah. Um, we do, we love the solarium, and, and I'm with you. This place has certainly felt like home for the last 16 months, and this is probably the most unique version of the gathering that we've done. Uh, in many ways, it probably looks the most like church it's ever looked uh, in here, which is, you know, has its pros and cons. Um, but uh, if, if we could stay here, if it was possible, um, I, think we, I think we would have tried to find that middle ground and tried to figure out how to, how to be here. Uh, we have thanked them a ton over the last six months. They're probably getting sick of it. Um, but we, we've thanked them over and over because we mean it. And the Watermark guys, when we started meeting six or seven months ago, they just said yes to everything we asked. So Chris and Justin, thank you. Really, really appreciate you guys. Um, they, they've, truly, they've truly been partners with us and from the beginning saw this as, as their project as much as, much as ours. And so um, we hope this isn't our last time here. We want to utilize this space for a number of different things. We've got plans for uh, moving our Christmas party here to be second story here. So uh, make sure that this isn't, you know, hold us accountable to that, right? Like make sure that this isn't our last time using this space. Uh, the beauty of this space right, is that this isn't a church, right? This, this room is a place where community is cultivated. It's where community grows. It's where community happens, right? This isn't just a church. It's something bigger than that. So we hope um, that this home will be used for a number of different ways and that maybe we'll get to use that in the future too. There's some who loved Lincoln Township Park too, right? And, they and there's some who loved Upton Middle School and some people who loved that random warehouse in Benton Harbor that we met at for a while. Um, but Storyline has taken so many different shapes over the last 18 years, and what, and what you see on Sunday mornings are just the puzzle pieces coming together of what Storyline is supposed to look like, all those different pieces coming together to make what it is. And, and I should say this, too. Like as we, as we head, prepare to go back, we're not necessarily expecting things to go back to the way they were, right? We are, we are a very different church, and yes, Things will feel familiar, and things will feel nostalgic, and there will be some kind of deja vu probably happening for everybody who, who joined us at the Saint, at St. Joe before, but two years is a long time, right? We've changed. This church has changed. This, the, like, there's new people here that, that have, never know, have never known what Storyline has looked like over the last two years, and so we are going to St. Joe transformed, and so we do not expect it to be the same thing it was two years ago. Um, now, that being said, we, we know like we've made mistakes. We've made mistakes in places that we've met. We are making mistakes. We are gonna continue to make mistakes, right? And so 
my ask is that, that uh, you continue to trust us and that you would join us as we make that move, um, no matter where you found us or how you found us, because all those different pieces, all the different faults and all those different mistakes that we have made have all been opportunities, right? They've all been opportunities to be recreated into something new. That's a great song, right? Here's, here's the line. You came to take us to recreate us, right? We had our mindset, and you had to find it, right? This, the, the process, the life of following Jesus is a process of being recreated, right? Of being refound, of changing our mind um, as we find it. So I'm not, sure, I'm not sure exactly what that song was written about. By, I'm not sure what Sufjan Stevens was thinking, but those are, there's some, a lot of deep meaning in those words. Friends, I don't know how you found us. I don't know what brought you to Storyline, but one of the key pillars of this community over the past 18 years has been to resist the temptation to remain static, right? We've had countless opportunities to find a permanent home, to, to put down roots, to invest in a building, and maybe, maybe God will lead us there one day. Like, we're, I think we're open to that possibility. Um, but for all the debate that staff and elders have had about this church and where it should go, one of the things that, one of the convictions that have remained consistent is the commitment to using spaces and places that our community already offers us, right? That we can, that we can take um, a brewery or a school or a park and we can recreate it and we can turn it into something new. Um, so, what we're continuing to come back to year after year is that this belief that hardwired in the DNA of, of Christ followers um, is wandering, right? That the heritage of Christ following is nomadic. From the beginning, the story of grace has been moving. And what we see is that when it moves, it grows. In the very beginning of the Bible, there's, there's this story, maybe you're familiar with it, um, where God takes something formless and lifeless, where there was nothing, and with an explosion of joy and love, he creates the world that we call home today. And in that first draft of humanity, there's a garden, right? There's this garden of Eden. It's a paradise designed purposely for flourishing. But the cost of flourishing is freedom, right? Love requires a choice. It demands to be chosen because forced love, love that I don't choose, isn't love at all. And so for love to exist, so then must free will. And with free will comes the threat of separation. Right? You've heard us kind of play out this logic puzzle a couple different times. The choice not to love has to be equally as accessible as the choice to love. That's what makes love, love. So in order for this garden to be paradise, then, in order for love to exist in this paradise, it can't be perfect. What do I mean by that? I mean that a garden is obviously, it's organized and it's ordered. It's not a jungle, right? It's not just this wild place where things grow, you know, without any weeding or pruning. It's purposeful and ordained. But a garden is also exposed, right? It's not a terrarium of perfection. It's not designed to keep every spider and weed and snake out of it. No, this, this garden is on purpose, yet it's perfectly vulnerable. 
because what we find is that love flourishes in vulnerability. So God fills this garden with every good and living thing, birds and cows and mosquitoes and snakes. And in order to maintain its growth, in order to take care of it, he isolates one piece of his creation, one part of his creation to manage it, right? Us. The Bible says that he made us, man and woman, in his image. And we are the co-creators. We are the cultivators. We're the gardeners of God's good garden. And so that is only possible, right? We can only be the gardeners if we choose it. Spoiler alert, we didn't choose it, right? We made, like, our ancestors made a different choice. In fact, they chose the opposite, right? And that choice ushered God's people, his creation, his beloved, into a history of wandering, a history that no matter where they landed, this group of people never quite fit in. A couple chapters later in the book of Genesis, we read about a man named Abraham. Maybe you've heard this story too, right? He's living in the town called Haran with his wife, Sarah. He's 75 years old. Everything he knows is in Haran. His tribe, his people, his family, his life for 75 years has been in Haran. Yet in chapter 12, he gets a vision from God saying, go from your country your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse whoever curses you. I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Maybe this is stories familiar, right? This is Abraham being called to become the father of nations, and all the church kids here are going in their head, Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had father. You know the story, right? You know, you can keep going, right foot, left foot. You know, those are arms, not feet. Um, (laughs) Sorry for that distraction. That's the part of the story we remember, right? That father Abraham had many sons, and he was the father of all nations. But what we forget is that this story begins by God telling him to go. Go from your country. Go from your people. Go from your father's household to the land that I will show you. In 2022, moving is a fairly common thing. People move. But 4,000 years ago, that's, that's not how it worked, right? Life was more of a static cycle. It was cyclical. You were born into a family. You were rooted in that family. You were rooted in that tribe. And you played a role in that tribe. And so leaving... Leaving Haran for Abraham, leaving his tribe, would have not only meant uprooting his life, but disrupting everybody else's life in the process. Um, So this is no small thing. Abraham is leaving his tribe. He's leaving his people. He's leaving his father's household for something he has no idea of what it's about to come. Um, And it should be noted, we're not talking about Abraham moving from Stevensville to St. Joe, right? This move Abraham makes is more like Stevensville to Cleveland, Alabama, right? That's how far away, 650 miles. That's from Haran to Egypt. The Gathrites have made this drive, I don't know, four times in the last month. But 4,000 years ago, Abraham would have been walking. Um, And so he packs up his wife, Sarah. He packs up everything he owns, and he starts walking, maybe with a camel, maybe with a horse. He starts walking to Egypt. And it's in Egypt that the story begins to develop. In fact, Abraham becomes 
the leader of a great nation, becomes the forefather of a group of people that move and become a civilization. His son Jacob goes on to have 12 sons, and those 12 sons move about Egypt and Arabia, and they, and they start developing and becoming the civilization of people, this collection of tribes uh, that all believe in Yahweh, their, their God. Um, so fun fact about Abraham, three world religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, all believe that he is the forefather of their religion. It's pretty cool that we, like most of humanity, most of our religious heritage on this planet can be traced back to this one man, and it started with him moving, right? Um, anyway, so the story picks up again in the book of Exodus. We're, we're going to go, th- we're going to do the whole Bible here. So if you need a cup of coffee, feel free to get up at this point now. Um, but we're going to, so, so the book of Exodus, we have this, an, another story of movement, right? 700 years later, um, before, about 1,300 years before Jesus is born, a man named Moses, he delivers these tribes, this group of people, these Israelites from the slavery in Egypt. They made a movie about it. DreamWorks did. Um, and actually before that, Charleston Heston, I think, was in, was in a movie about this same story. Maybe, maybe you've seen it. Uh, the people of God are moving, except this time they're wandering. Moses delivers them from slavery, but they don't have any place to go. And so for 40 years, they wander in a desert trying to, trying to find this promised land, this, this place that God has promised to deliver them into. Um, but for 40 years, they wander in a desert, wondering what life is going to look like in this new place, in this new land. And so while they're moving around the Sinai Peninsula, they're carrying God around in a box, right? So this box is called the Ark of the Covenant. It started in a movie a number of years ago with Harrison Ford. And this, <laughs> um, this box, they believe that the Spirit of God dwelled within it. They, they believe that God lived in here. And so they had this tent that they would construct whenever they landed uh, called the tabernacle. So that they would build the tabernacle, they would put the Ark of the Covenant in it, and the high priest would go and open it and communicate with God. And so for 40 years, they wandered around the desert with God in a box searching for the promised land, right? Uh, it's, it's this crazy story. And I should clarify right now, I should pause right now and say, I'm not trying to make a comparison that we are the Israelites and that St. Joe is some kind of promised land, right? That would be a ridiculous and quite hyperbolic comparison, a claim that I'm not willing to make this morning. No, we're, we're going somewhere else, so, so stick with me. Let's fast forward a thousand years, um, or, or, excuse me, a couple hundred years, and there's a, there's a great king who, who, who is found in the city of Israel. The Israelites finally settle in this promised land they name it Israel after their forefather, Jacob. Um, and King Solomon uh, takes power, and he builds this great city of Jerusalem, right? After 40 years of wandering, the Israelites, Israelites finally have a home, a place that they can put down roots in. The Bible says this about Jerusalem and about King Solomon. King Solomon was wiser and richer than all of the kings of the earth. He surpassed them all. People came from all over the world to be with Solomon and to drink in the wisdom God had given him. And everyone who came brought gifts, artifacts of gold and silver, fashionable robes and gowns, the latest in weapons and exotic spices and horses and mules, parades of visitors year after year. My mind goes to that scene 
where Aladdin is coming in to impress Jasmine, right? It's Prince Ali, marvelous. That scene, like, that's happening year after year. Kings and queens from all over are coming to see the city that King Solomon has built. So this wandering tribe carrying God in a box is finally settled for a moment because they think they can rebuild paradise. The Bible even says that King Solomon had made silver more plentiful than stones in Jerusalem. So, and he went on and he, and he instead, of, instead of this rickety tabernacle anymore, he builds this giant monument, this giant temple to God, and now God can live there. This was as close to returning to the Garden of Eden as they would get, right? King Solomon thought, if only I could recreate it, if only I could rebuild the garden, then we could have all that we need. And admittedly, King Solomon, he nailed it. He built this marvelous kingdom. It was the envy of every nation. But like all good things, this bubble of bliss pops, right? Because Solomon dies and his kids can't decide who's going to take over, who's going to lead. And so they split the kingdom in half, and you've got Samaria to the north and Judah to the south, and the, the, the nation weakens, and it's eventually taken over by a bunch of different nations, the Persians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. And for the next thousand years, these Israelites are wandering again. They're wandering through slavery and bondage, wondering if they're ever going to have a home. So fast forward, fast forward about a thousand years, and we find our, when we find this group, this tribe of Israelites in Jerusalem, but under Roman rule now, right? They're, they were oppressed by the Egyptians, oppressed by the Babylonians, and now the Romans. Um, and so the memory of their deliverer, Moses, from Egypt is fading from memory, and they're wondering if they're ever going to return to the Garden of Bliss. They're wondering if they're ever going to return to paradise. And onto the scene comes this really new and radical teacher speaking a message of hope and peace. His name is Jesus, right? He comes on the scene and he's speaking of a kingdom without walls, a kingdom that was beyond the material of this world, a kingdom that was found, um, that wasn't found in a building or a temple, but it was found within the people of God. It wasn't something that you could build or achieve, but it was some kind of superpower that was trapped inside each of us. And so what we know about this teacher, though, what we know about Jesus is that he, when he started his ministry, he gave up his home. He was, a, he was homeless. He was nomadic. He relied on the people in every town to take, to take care of him and his followers. The gospel author Luke says this. He continued according to the plan. He traveled town to town after town, village after village, preaching God's kingdom and spreading the message. It says here that the 12 were with him and that he had this group of women that kind of were acting as the, the business managers of this traveling circus, right? You, you had um, Mary Magdalene and you had Jonah, the wife of, of Chusa, who was Herod's uh, manager. So like she was like the financier of the whole operation, um, right? And so you had this traveling, this traveling band of gypsies, if you will, wandering from town to town. Um, it was mobile. It was never meant to be static or secured to one location. He didn't build a giant church in Bethlehem, right? 
Later in the New Testament, we hear stories of a man named Paul. He would travel the coastline of the Mediterranean, um, building uh, these communities of Jesus wherever he went, and he called these he called these communities churches. But Paul didn't travel with a hammer, right? He wasn't a he wasn't a carpenter. These these churches weren't buildings; they were they were communities of people. They were groups of people motivated by love, to love one another, to take care of one another. When somebody didn't have enough to eat, the person with extra made sure that, they ha- that that person had enough for themselves. When somebody couldn't pay their rent, the church gathered together and made sure that that person's rent was paid. This is what the first churches that Paul was building looked like. Um, it, it wasn't a temple, but it was a collection of souls that were focused on grace and belonging and love. And then the Bible concludes, it comes to this great ending with a vision at the end of the book. In the book of Revelation, we hear this vision of a great city, right? When heaven and earth collide and they come together, what's left in that moment of apocalypse is is this vast and great kingdom that the Bible calls a new Jerusalem. And in this kingdom, uh, the gates are always open and there is no longer any need want. And at the center of the city, at the center of this new bubble, this new bubble of bliss is a tree, the tree of life. What do we call a tree in the middle of a city? What do we call the space where a tree grows in the middle of a city? One word for it might be guarded, right? It has to be on purpose. It has to be organized. It has to be ordered. And so isn't it interesting that the Bible begins with a garden, the Garden of Eden, this paradise of humanity where love and grace are never ending. And it also ends with the garden. It ends with that same kind of space. But these are two different gardens. This new Jerusalem isn't isn't built around the Garden of Eden. It's not in the same place. And I wonder why. I wonder if it was about the Garden of Eden, then wouldn't that be the case? Wouldn't Jerusalem have been just put around that garden to preserve it, to keep it, to hold on to it. That's only if it was about the garden. And I'm not sure if it ever was. I think it's about the gardener. I think it's about the people that God put in the garden to manage it, to cultivate it, to take care of it, to say it's you grow, you plant the seeds, you water the soil. It's about the people of God living in such a way that the product of their life is growth. That no matter where these people are, no matter where they go, or even who they are, what they look like, that these people would be a refuge for the broken and the outcast and the homeless. That these people would act as if, as if love was their soil and grace was the fertilizer. And all of a sudden, the church no longer looks like a Garden of Eden that we call home, but it looks like a community of people that are working together to cultivate grace. That's a movie called Freedom Riders. Um, it's, about, it's a story of an English teacher who uh, doesn't see kids the way that other teachers see them, right? It doesn't, she doesn't care about the school that they go to or the place that they live in, but she still sees them as good and purposeful, as arbiters of grace and love, and that's, that's an example of what, of what that looks like. Friends, the story of God and the story of God's people is not about a place, 
It's not about a building. It's not some kind of static state where we try to achieve utopia, right? No, this, this is a good story. This is a good story that we are in, not a static state, and we get to play a role in it. This is about a God who finds his home in us. God's heart is our heart, and our heart is our home. And our home is his heart. It's living in and living out his grace every single day. St. Joseph High School is not some kind of promised land filled and with milk and honey that's flowing from every corner of it. No, it's, it's going to come with a new set of pros and cons and a new set of challenges that will aid or hinder our gathering. But that's life, right? There is no, there's no perfect place for what we're trying to do because, because this is about us and we're not perfect. It's not about a building or a field or a garden. This is about the gardeners. This is about a community cultivating grace. This is about a people who set aside themselves so that they can lift up their neighbor. So as we transition from this garden to the next, will you come with us? Right? Maybe you found us online or you found us at the park or maybe you found us uh, like Mark at Up the Middle School 12 years ago, right? Uh, I think that's awesome. I hope you always know that you and yours are welcome here, no matter how you find us or where you come from or what you look like or who you are. You are welcome here. I want us to leave this place. I want us to leave the solarium. I want us to leave this garden singing. I want us to go from here rejoicing and believing that the community of God, that the community God has called us to has nothing to do with brick and mortar, but everything to do with grace and love. So we flew home from Orlando the morning after the wedding and, you know, really early in the morning. That's what happens when you, when you use miles. I think we woke up at like 4.15 um, or something like that. And it, it was brutal. It was, a, it was a slog. We were worn down. It was way too early. Bo was just not having it. And so we land and we miss our shuttle and it's just rough. And so at about 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, we finally pull into the driveway, and Bo wakes up, because you know, thankfully he napped on the, on the ride home. He wakes up and he yawns and goes, where are we? And I say, and I tell, I say we're home, buddy. We finally made it back to the yellow house. He goes, the yellow house? I don't live here. <laughs> and I go, yeah, buddy, this is our home. This is where we live. And he goes, no. You know, you remember how he pronounces it. Um, he goes, no, I live in Disney World. Uh, to, I mean, to be three, man, that's awesome. He says, you know that old cliche, right? Home is where the heart is. Well, Bo left his heart in the most magical place on earth. He, he said it this morning. He said, I want to go back. I want to go home to Disney World. Um, and so he wants, he, he left his heart in a place where joy and magic are endless and his seemingly his needs are always met. But what makes Disney so magical and joyful, it's not the castle or Space Mountain or Turkey Leg. It was the joy of doing it together, right? It's the experience, it was the magic of being together and, and experiencing that joy. And that's what God longs for us, right? He wants his joy to be our joy. And he knows that we can only do that 
together. I truly believe that if this was about a temple or a promised land, that he would have made that very, very clear for us. That would, that's an easy outline to make. Those are easy instructions to impart on his people. But we don't have that, right? Instead, these were Jesus' last words that he spoke to his disciples. In his last conversation, uh, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask this. They say, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Is this the time? They're asking, can we get our garden back? Right? We've, we've been in slavery for so long. Is this the time you're going to bring it back to us? And he says, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witness in Jerusalem and all over Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Remember that box that they carried the Holy Spirit around in as they wandered? That's us now. We are the home. We are the box that God dwells in. He's saying, don't miss this by waiting for something that's going to happen. This isn't about a garden. This is about the gardeners. And you, each one of you, is a gardener. Now, we get to go to the ends of the earth to tell people about his heart. Home is where the heart is, and if our heart is with God, then our heart is for one another. It is for everyone whose God's heart is for. And it's about seeing us all as one and bringing everyone together, gathering up all the gardeners to cultivate God's good story of grace that is alive and it's moving. It's not a static state of being, but a collective a collective of God's heart working together to be part of the collision of heaven and earth. So we continue to trust us. Will you come with us? Because when we're together, then we're home. Friends, may you leave this house singing. May you leave this house singing a song of hope and belonging. May you know that God's heart is for you and he wants nothing more than to share his heart with you. May you find hope in a community that sees you for who you are, the child of God who is deserving of grace and love. And friends, may we, may we find our home in each other. May we together, this gathering of people, be a beacon of hope and belonging in this community no matter where we find ourselves going. And may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Friends, thank you. We'll see you in two weeks, April 3rd. April 3rd, thank you.